So remember, we're in a series in the book of Psalms called Open and Unafraid. And what we've said is that Psalms are, uh, these are uh, little tools that help us cultivate our interior lives. And, you know, the Lord's Prayer, for example, teaches us what to pray, basically teaches us what to pray. The Psalms teach us how to pray. And in the Psalms, there's depicted almost every condition or every circumstance that you might find yourself in. And the Psalms give us language to help pray ourselves through these things. And so uh, the Psalms are incredible for shaping us and shaping our relationship to God. I would encourage you to pray a Psalm every day. Uh, one of my goals, one of my hopes is that by the end of the series, uh, many of you would develop a habit or a practice of reading a Psalm every day. They're crucial. And so today, uh, we're going to pull out a new emotion, we're going to pull out a new condition, and it's the emotion or condition of guilt. How do we learn to pray our shame and guilt? There's a category of psalms called the uh, penitential psalms, and uh, these are psalms of confession. And these are psalms that help us know what to do with our guilt. Know, they help us know how to, to bring our guilt to God. And I know that a lot of people, uh, you know, in the modern world might say, you know, leave these psalms in the ancient world. You know, we are modern people, and, and you know, many people would say one of the accomplishments of the modern world is that we've gotten rid of these uh, backwards, regressive uh, ideas of guilt and shame. We don't give people guilt trips anymore, right? We are, fear, we are free from all that, you know, heavy language. But I want to argue that we still very much need these psalms of confession, we still need to know how to pray our guilt and shame because, you know, even though the language may be gone, even though we may not use the language of guilt and shame anymore, we still feel it, don't we? You may not have the language for it, but all of us still feel guilt and shame all the time. I think it's pervasive. There's a story uh, or there's a, there's a joke that um, Ernest Hemingway tells in one of his short stories at the very beginning. And it's a joke about a, a father that lived in Spain. And this father moved to Madrid, and when he came there, he, uh, he put an ad in the, uh, in the paper there in Madrid, addressed to his son. And the ad simply said this, Paco, meet me at Hotel Montana noon Tuesday. All is forgiven. Signed, Papa. And the joke goes that on Tuesday, the National Guard had to be called out because so many Pacos showed up. Uh, to receive forgiveness. And, and the, the joke works because, A, there are so many people in Spain named Paco, but also because so many people have a pervasive sense of guilt. For so many of us, if we could just hear those words, all is forgiven, it would change everything. Uh, many of us are uh, ridden with neurotic anxiety because of guilt. Many of us are driven to overwork and overachievement because of guilt. For many of us, even our, our religious and, and church activity is, is tainted by an unresolved sense of guilt. And so uh, what's so important about these psalms is it helps us get some resolution. It helps us ease that, that tension, that, that issue of guilt and shame in our lives and shows us how to feel forgiven. Don't you want that? Let's get into the story. So this is a, uh, a Psalm of David. And uh, David, David, as we'll see, is a man who knew very well the, the condition of guilt and shame. And uh, in this Psalm, what he does is he teaches us what to do with our guilt. He, it's a little story about how he felt guilt and shame and what he did with it. He tells us first what not to do with it. 
and then what we need to do with it and what's going to result if we do the, the right thing. I want to break the psalm into three different parts. We're going to see that his sin was concealed, and then we're going to see his sin was revealed, and then we're going to see his sin was healed. So his sin was concealed, what not to do. His sin was revealed, what we need to do with our, our guilt and, and shame. And then finally, his sin was healed. What's going to be the result if we do that? So first, let's look at the concealing of sin. He begins and he says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. Then he says in verse 3, he says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. This is a picture of what happened when David concealed his sin. Now, you got to know the story behind it. Uh, both uh, Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 um, are both psalms that are tied to an event in David's life, a horrible event. Uh, it, was a, it was an event that put a blotch on his record as the greatest king of Israel. And it was the time when he stole the, right, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Her name was Bathsheba. And then he made it worse by killing uh, or having Uriah killed in battle. So he committed adultery and murder. I like to call it Bathsheba Gate. Maybe? I don't know. But what we see here, that, 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 that what happened was not only that David committed the sin, we see that he also concealed the sin. He not only committed these horrific acts, but he went on for an entire year pretending like none of it happened. He put it under the surface. He denied it. He justified it. Whatever he did, he, he kept silent, he said. He says, I covered my sin. I hid my sin from myself, God, and others. And what we learn here is something really crucial about us, is that we as human beings are just like David. We not only commit sin, we also cover sin. Part of our condition is we're not only sinners, we are also hiders. Remember way back in the Garden of Eden, uh, Adam and Eve, they, they committed that original sin by eating the fruit from the tree of, of the garden. What is the first thing they did after they committed that sin? They hid. They hid from God. They fashioned fig leaves. And so they hid their sin before God. And, and this is what we always do. You know, if you're, you know, just think about your own life. It's not only that you, uh, maybe that you look at that website that you shouldn't be looking at. You also erase your internet history so that nobody knows you did it. It's not only that you embezzled the money, but you covered your tracks so that nobody would know. It's not only that you cheated on the test, but you continued to keep it undercover so that you received the grade and the award that you didn't earn. You see, we're not only sinners, we are hiders. We are justifiers. We cover our tracks. Our sin goes under the surface. He says, I kept silent about what I had done. Let's ask the question, why did David do this? Why do we do this? Why do we keep silent? Why do we hide our sin? Well, one of the reasons, I mean, David doesn't tell us here, so we've got to guess, but one of the reasons is maybe he didn't want to face the punishment. He didn't want to face the consequences of the sin, and so he covered his tracks. You know, he didn't want to, uh, you know, get fired from being king of Israel. Uh, he didn't want to be uh, put on the run or, or whatever the case may be. Maybe he was afraid of what might happen, what the consequences or the punishment might be if he came out with what he did. And for you, maybe you're, you just, you know, you, you don't want to get fired 
And if, if you're open about your sin and everybody knows that you've embezzled, you're gonna lose your job. Or maybe you would lose your marriage if somebody find, found out about the relationship that you had. Or maybe you would lose that grade, maybe lose the scholarship, lose the award if you came clean about your sin. So a lot of times we hide because we don't wanna face the punishment. We fear the consequences. But I think there's an even deeper, deeper reason why we hide. I think we often hide our sin because we fear not only punishment, but exposure. We don't want to be exposed. You see, part of guilt is something called shame, and shame is embarrassment. Shame is, is a sense that I'm not right, and I need to cover that up. And here's the thing about us. We are so good at image management. We are so good at curating and crafting an image of the ideal life that we, that we think we have and then projecting that image out into the world. And to admit sin is to be exposed for what you really are. It's to damage your carefully curated image. I remember, uh, it was probably years ago now, uh, my family, we, we were down in Little Rock. We were having uh, dinner at a restaurant down there. And as we were, were, as we were eating, we struck up a conversation with an elderly couple that was sitting next to us there in the restaurant. And uh, they were uh, just doting on our family. They were, uh, they were just, oh, your, your family is so cute. And wow, you're, you're just such a beautiful young family. And boy, your kids are so well-behaved. We've never seen kids so well-behaved before. And wow, you're just, you're just an amazing dad. Boy, the kids are so lucky and, lucky. and I was saying, oh yes, you're right. Oh, I was drinking it in. Oh, I was feeling so good about myself, and I just felt like a million bucks. And then they said, you know, oh, you're from out of town. Well, well you know, what, what brings you to Arkansas? And I said, well, I've come here to be a pastor. And then their eyes got really wide, and she, the woman said, oh, wow, you're a pastor. You know, my husband used to be a pastor. And then their image of me went way up. I mean, it was just through the roof, and I was feeling amazing. And I was just thinking, yes, oh, you're, you're right. I mean, I am. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? You know, that I, I do have this cute family and it's, my kids are so well behaved. And just then, uh, I don't know what caused it, but Luke, who was two years old at the time, just whacked Samuel in the face. And Samuel just started to scream. And then he, he turned around and he whacked Luke in the face. And then there was this loud fight that ensued. And I was just looking over going, oh my gosh, oh no, this image, it was, it was all crashing to the ground. And then Anita's like, Brent, come and help me. And then we kind of got in this argument and the, the fighting got louder and louder. And the only thing I could think of was, I need to get out of here. I need to hide this. I need to manage my image. I could still save it. I think I could still save it. I didn't even know these people, but I needed them to think well of me. And so I gathered up my family and we were sort of walking out of the restaurant and we got to the door and I was finally out without completely tarnishing my image. And then right before we left the door, uh, the, the uh, waiter yelled at me from across the restaurant, sir, you didn't pay the bill. Where are you going? And I was just humiliated. And so Anita and the kids went outside. I had to do the walk of shame back into the restaurant, pay for the bill, you know, trying not to make eye, eye contact with this couple. What was the problem? Why was, why, was I, why was that so horrible? I was being exposed. This carefully crafted image that I had developed was all crashing to the ground. And we hate that. And this is why we hide. This is why we don't come clean. This is why we, we may de deny our sin and maybe even lie to ourselves is because we've got to keep our image clean. Maybe that's where David was. Whatever it was 
David uh, describes what happened to him when he kept silent. He says in verse three, when I kept silent, listen to what he says. He says, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long for, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. So he covered his sin. He pretended like it was not there, but, but the, you see, he still suffered because of it. He was still very much suffering the consequences of guilt, even though he wasn't acknowledging it. Notice the way he describes it there. He talks about almost like a physical illness. He's describing here uh, the psychosomatic symptoms of guilt. Right, the, the hand of God was heavy upon me. You may fool everybody else in your life, but you don't fool God. God sees everything. And he loves you too much to let you go. And so he will put his heavy hand upon you so that you will feel the guilt. And so he says, I, I felt, you know, my bones were aching and I wasted away and I was groaning all day long and I couldn't sleep at night. And it's because your hand was heavy upon me. And then he describes almost like a, a festering, uh, you know, kind of feeling of unwellness in his life. I mean, here's the thing about unconfessed sin. Whatever is unconfessed cannot be addressed. Whatever is concealed cannot be healed. It's like going to the doctor and the doctor says, hey, look, you've got cancer. Here's the diagnosis. Uh, it, you've got it. It's bad. It's growing on the inside. Well, listen, you can cover that up. You could pretend it's not there. But even as you pretend and cover, it's still going to fester inside. And this is what sin does. Without being confessed, it just continues to go unaddressed. And that anger just festers and gets, gets worse, and the lust just grows and gets worse. And the lying gets worse. So as much as you try to cover it up, it doesn't make it go away. David says it continued to, to cause, all, cause all sorts of problems in my life. It continued to wreak havoc. And maybe sin is wreaking havoc in your life. Maybe there are things in your life that you've put under the surface. And maybe you fooled everybody else in your life, but you know it's there. And God knows it's there. And it's continuing to fester, and it will do so until you learn how to do the next thing that the psalmist does here. He says, I'm telling you my story. I kept silent. I put the sin undercover. And it festered and it worked havoc. And, and he said, I didn't get any relief until verse five. Notice there's a turning point in the psalm. We see that he revealed. He stopped concealing and he revealed his sin. Notice what, is, what he says. <clears throat> he says, I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. This is a beautiful picture of confession, of a healing, of a free, a, a freedom-providing confession. He acknowledges his sin to God. He stops concealing. He brings his sin out of the dark and into the light, and he lays it before the Lord, and he confesses his sin before God. And notice a few things about his confession. What does it mean to confess? What does it look like? Well, notice a few things. I want you to see that his confession involved an intentional decision. Notice the way he says it here. He says, he said, I said, I will confess my transgression to God. What a funny way to say that. I said, I will confess to God. It's like he, he's almost being hyper clear about the fact I am intentionally doing this. 
I am, I am owning up to my sin. This is my decision. It is an intentional act. I am opening myself up to God to confession. And it's important to see this because uh, confession or uh, acknowledging your sin is something that cannot be forced upon you. Uh, you know, you, nobody confesses against their will. Confession, true confession, is always an intentional, personal decision. I will confess. Now, David got a little help here. And some of you may know the story. Uh, David had been a year, you know, and he'd been denying what he had done. But then there was a friend of his who came to see him one day. His name was Nathan, Nathan the prophet. And Nathan came to David and courageously and creatively confronted David on his sin. He said, David, let me tell you a story. He said there was a powerful man in Israel. He, had, he, he owned everything. He was wealthy. And although he had everything, he wanted the, the one lone sheep of a poor man. And the sheep was this poor man's pet. It was everything that he, that he owned. But this rich man was so guilty, he took this sheep, he stole this sheep away from the poor man, and then on top of that, he killed the man so he wouldn't be caught. What should be done, done to this man, David? And David said, that man should be killed. That man should get what he deserved. And then Nathan said, David, you are the man. Confronted David. Now, David had a choice, didn't he? He could, he could deny it. I'm not the man. Or he could say, Nathan, you're the man who's going to die today. <laughs> but what did David do? At that moment when he was confronted, he made the decision to confess. Confession is something that you do. Um, there's a lot of people that maybe are or their sins have come out and maybe they're punished because of it. They're in jail, but they haven't confessed. They're still in denial. Uh, you know, confession is something that you need to decide to do on your own. So he says, I will confess. Notice confession is also coming to grips with the truth of what you've done. David is being honest here. Notice at the beginning, he says, blessed is the man whose spirit there is no deceit. What is deceit? Deceit is lying. Confession is the opposite of that. It's telling the brutal, honest truth about what you've done. Confession is a gift of awareness. It's, it, it's seeing in a clear light the, the sinfulness of your sin. When you realize the, the, the thing you've done actually hurts somebody. It's not that I was just busy and I wasn't li listening to my, my spouse. I made her feel like I didn't care about her. It's not that I just committed adultery. I actually robbed somebody else's beloved wife. It's when you can see your sin in all of its honest ugliness. And because of this, confession is always painful. It hurts because you see the truth about what you've done. This is why in the Bible, whenever it talks about people confessing their sin, it talks about weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's because the truth hurts sometimes. And confession is looking at the truth about yourself in all of its brutal honesty, in all of its painful reality, and acknowledging what you've done. Notice the words that David uses here. He says, I'm confessing my sin, my iniquity, and my transgression. Those are ugly words. He says, this adultery, it wasn't just I was following my heart. I was committing sin. I was missing the mark. Oh, this thing with Uriah, it's not that I was just getting rid of a problem. I was doing a transgression, which means I was becoming twisted. 
You see, he's calling his sin what it really is. Confession also involves taking responsibility for what you've done. It's, saying, it's not saying, you know, I, yeah, I did get angry, but you gotta understand, this is my, my, I'm an Enneagram 8. Anger is just part of what I do. It's not my fault. Or yeah, I did, you know, lie, but you gotta understand, I grew up in an environment where lying was okay. It's not passing the buck, it's taking responsibility. It's saying, I was at fault. This is confession. Do you know how to do this? It's honesty. It's transparency. It's taking responsibility. And somebody might ask, well, what, what does this look like? Like, who do I confess to? This is actually a really important question. Uh, who do I confess to? Uh, do I, you know, when the, when the church opens back up again, do I go in front of the church behind the microphone and tell everybody all of my secret sins? Well, uh, one, one pastor, his name was John Stott, gave some good wisdom around this. He says, a secret sin should be confessed secretly. A sin just between you and God should be confessed between you and God. Private sin should be confessed privately. You know, you sin against your spouse, you confess to your spouse. Public sins should be confessed publicly. And that's how you should do it. Now, I think I might, if I may have the boldness to make an addendum to John Stott's statement, I think that actually there is some wisdom to confessing a secret sin to a trusted counselor. Uh, sometimes by uh, bringing a pastor or a good, a trustworthy friend, some, something that you're secretly struggling with can bring that sin out into the light and can bring some accountability, some freedom to your struggle. But I think these are good rules. Uh, uh, confess secret sins in secret, private sins in private, public sins in public. Now, I also want you to, to know uh, what you should confess. Confess what he says, sin, iniquity, and transgression. Uh, Confess what the Bible calls sin and don't confess what the Bible doesn't call sin. And this is important because a lot of you feel guilty about things that are not sin. You know, sometimes I, I go home on a Sunday morning feeling guilty because I didn't preach a perfect sermon. Some of you walk around feeling guilty because you, didn't, you don't have your parents' approval because you don't make a lot of money. Some of you walk around guilty because, you know, you don't have the perfect body type. Listen, you don't have to feel guilty for that. Uh, you, you don't have to confess, confess things that are not sin. But what the Bible does call sin, confess those things. The Bible kind of gives us a straight edge. It gives us a limit. It tells us, it gives us a definition of what sin is, and that actually is very helpful in confession. Whatever you do, bring your sin out into the light. Because it's when you bring sin into the light that sin can finally be healed, which is the final point. Notice he, he, he brings the sin out. Notice verse 6 tells us the result. He says, therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be like the horse or the mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Notice what he does here is he's describing the healing that results from confession. I love this description. First of all, he says, I received healing because when I confessed my sin, I was reconciled to God. 
I love, he says, God, you are my hiding place. You are the one that, that I run to when there's a rush of great waters. And what he's describing there is a re reconciled relationship with God. One of the worst things about unconfessed sin is it separate, separates you from fellowship with your creator. And listen, God wants to be your hiding place. God wants to be your security. God wants to be your life. He wants to be your joy. He wants to be a source of strength in, in the midst of a chaotic world. He wants to be a place where you can run and hide. And here's the thing. You cannot hide in God if you're hiding from him. When you hide from God, you are running away from the only one who, who can give, give you what you really need in this life. And so he says, when I opened up my sin to God, he said, God opened up his arms and we were reconciled again. And this felt so amazing. Yes, confession was hard and it was hard to come to grips with that, but it opened up the door for me to run into God's presence and feel that safety and that joy again. He says, don't wait to do that. He says, don't wait another minute. If you are not right with your creator, if you're running away from him, do not wait another day. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to run into the arms of your creator again. So he says, I was reconciled to God. Second of all, he says, I was delivered from my sin. He says, you surround me with shouts of deliverance. And what he's saying here is that the only way to get deliverance from sin is to confess sin. When you confess your sin, it breaks a power in your life that opens the door to change and healing from sin in your life. Notice he, he changes here in verse eight to God talking to his people. And God says this, I will instruct you. I will teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. And then he says to the one who's concealing sin, don't be like the horse or the mule. Don't be an ass, he says. In, that, in the proper sense of the word, without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle. He says, listen, confess your sin. Don't be stubborn. Open the door. Confess your sin to God. Lay it out before him because it's not until you, uh, you know, confess that sin that that sin can then be addressed by God. It's not until you stop concealing your sin that God can start healing your sin. God says, I want to give you wisdom. I want to see you change and grow. I want to see you get better. I want to see you get wiser. I want to see your marriage get better. I want to see your, your character get stronger. I want to see you get wiser. But none of those things can happen until you are honest about your sin. Until you admit that you've got an anger problem, God can't deal with it and make you a person of peace. Until you admit that you're lazy, you can't be a diligent person who lives a life of courage. Until you admit that you've got a problem, God can't change your life the way he wants to. And so he says, here's another thing that's so wonderful about confession is it opens the door to change and to wisdom and to growth because whatever is confessed can now be addressed and transformed. And finally, he says, one of the most wonderful things about confession is it opens the door to the joy of forgiveness. It's kind of the whole point of the psalm because he begins and he says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. The word blessed means joyful, means happy. And he says, he says, there's a joy that comes from forgiveness. 
There's a deep, satisfying joy that comes with knowing God's pardon in your life. And you will never know that pardon unless you confess your sin. In other words, Jesus is standing here today, as it were, ready and willing to forgive, willing to offer you pardon, wanting to forgive you of your sins. And he's saying, all you need to do is admit that sin, and I am there standing ready to forgive you. And the psalmist says, when I finally came out, as painful as it was, I felt God's forgiveness. I think about myself in, the, uh, in that restaurant. And, you know, on, on the one hand, I, I wanted to hide that sin. That's the one thing I wanted to do. I just didn't want that thing to come out. But in another sense, the sin coming out was the best thing for me. Because then I could have a conversation with my wife and say, you know, we didn't quite handle that well, did we? Or maybe I didn't <laughs> handle it very well. I couldn't come to God and just hear him say, you know, Brent, I know that you were an idiot back there and I know that you kind of screwed up, but you know what? It doesn't matter, Brent. I love you no matter what. I know that you're not the best father and I forgive you. You know, it came out and then I could begin to start addressing those things. Yeah, we didn't do the right thing in that restaurant, but, but how can we parent our children in a public place in a way that's better? We can have a conversation about that. We can start dealing with that and start working on that and start growing in our lives and becoming better parents uh, to our kids. You see, there's nothing like the healing that comes with confession because it opens the door to reconciliation with God, to change and growth in your life, and forgiveness. Why can God forgive you? Well, this, this psalm looks forward to uh, the uh, death and resurrection of Jesus, where, where Jesus dealt a death blow to your sin through his sacrifice on the cross. I don't have time to go into it, but there are three words that talk about what Jesus does to your sin. He cancels your sin, he covers your sin, and he cleanses your sin. The book of Isaiah says that when you confess your sin, God puts your sin as far away from you as the east is from the west. The book of Micah says that when you confess your sin uh, because of the sacrifice that God would make in Jesus, he throws your sin into the deepest sea. And as one author put it, your sin doesn't bob there like a cork, it sinks like a lead weight. And God puts up a no fishing sign. Your sin is forgiven, forgotten, gone forever. You are clean, you are forgiven when you confess your sin before God. There is nothing like the joy of forgiveness. And you know, I honestly think that, you know, if Christians would demonstrate what David demonstrates in this psalm, I think we'd be way more attractive in this world. You know, instead of being uh, religious people that are carefully manicuring our image, instead of people being defensive about those hidden parts about our lives, what if we went into the world honest, contrite, humble, and joyful because we know that we are sinners, but we also know deeply that we are forgiven. You could laugh at yourself. You could live a life of levity and joy. You can address those things in your life without fear. David says, don't conceal your sin, reveal your sin so that you can be healed from sin. Let me end with a question here. What sin are you hiding? What, what in your life are you justifying? What in your life are you defensive about? What in your life are you keeping in the dark? Today is the day, David says, to bring that thing into the light through confession. Um, I want to encourage you to make this a regular practice in your life. Uh, get a journal. 
uh, maybe read through the Psalms. And as you read, just make a note of the things you need to confess before God. Uh, just, it, it may be painful. It may be a difficult thing, but as honestly as you can, maybe even pray, God, search me and know me. See if there are wicked ways in me so that I could confess those things. And so then you could lead me in the way everlasting. Let's do that. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for uh, this psalm, which uh, teaches us the forgotten art of confession. Uh, God, whether we acknowledge it or not, whether we uh, have uh, used the language or not, uh, many, many of us are struggling with guilt, uh, unresolved guilt, shame and guilt that just plague us, that, that drive us, that haunt us. Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage because you have died for us, because you have done everything that is needed to forgive us and you stand with open arms because you know already the darkest things that we have ever committed, Lord. I pray that you would give us the courage to be open and unafraid. God, make us a people of confession. Make us a people in whose spirits there is no deceit. God, make us people who are humble and contrite and make us a people that know on a deep level that we are forgiven. And fill us with that joy, we pray in Jesus' name.